Good morning, church. We are kicking off a brand new teaching series this morning called Road Trip, and I am so excited. I've been pumped about this series ever since we started planning it way back in the spring because I think it is just so relevant to where we are as a church and as individuals. So let's jump in. Uh, what I want to ask you to do as we set the scene is imagine that you have just gotten in the car and you're about to go on a road trip. Short road trip, long road trip. Uh, maybe you're with uh, a group of friends. Maybe you're with your family. You've got your, uh, your road trip snacks already. I don't know what yours is. Maybe some M&Ms or some Starburst, some trail mix, beef jerky. Uh, you've got your road trip playlist all set. You've got life as a highway queued up. Maybe some journey, don't stop believing. Uh, Arthur, party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. I know, I'm not judging. You're all packed up. You're excited about the adventure ahead of you. Uh, you're in the driver's seat. You pull out of the driveway, drive through town, get on I-35, and it hits you. A very, very important question. Where are we going? And you think, this is embarrassing. I should know this. I'm driving. So you, uh, you ask the people in the car, I, I, I'm just testing you guys. I mean, I know, but do, do you guys know where, where are we going? And they say, we have no idea. We thought you knew. How are you feeling about your road trip? At this point, not quite as excited, right? A little out of control. It's not a great feeling because we all like to know where we're going, especially when we're driving, especially when we're driving. After all, how can you drive if you don't know where you're going? Well, as much as we hate to admit it, life is a lot like that, isn't it? We're on a road trip. We know we're going somewhere, but the destination is hazy. We have an idea of where we'd like to go, but most of the time we don't know where we're going to end up. We're on a journey, but we don't know exactly where. And so the question is, how do you drive? How do you drive when you don't know where you're going? I mean, you can't just pull over to the side of the road, right? I mean, cars are whizzing by like they are on 35. Life just keeps on going. So you can't stop. You have to drive somewhere, but how do you know where? I bet everybody in the room has been there a few times in your life. Maybe when you graduated from high school and your parents loaded up the car and they, they took you and helped you move into an apartment or maybe a dorm room. And then what do they do? They left you there. And you think, what in the world am I supposed to do? How do I go from here? Or maybe, maybe you grow up in South America or Asia or Africa and, and then you got a job opportunity in the U.S., and you, you flew halfway across the world, leaving your family and your friends behind and going to a place where everything's different. The culture's different. The people are different. The language is different. The food is different. And you think, how, how do I navigate this? One time that I felt this way in particular is when we had our first child. Some of you guys have had this experience. You know, you're in the hospital. They let you stay for a couple of days. And did you know that they kick you out after that? They say, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And so we... We loaded up the car, and I, I, it, it was 23 years ago this week, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. Joanna and I walked in the back door carrying Joshua in that bucket thing that you have, you know, and the door closed, and I thought, no lie, what have we done? <laughs> you know, you have to have a license to drive a car. You have to, you know, go through training to have all sorts of things, but they'll let anybody take a baby home with them. It's crazy. We have no idea what we're doing. This happens all the time, though, in life. The doctor gives you a scary diagnosis. You start a new job or a new school or, or maybe try this one. The, the, the pastor at the church where you attend after 24 years leaves and your church is in transition. You can't stop driving. You can't 
pull over. You have to go somewhere, but how do, you, how do you know where? How do you drive when you don't know where you're going? That's the question we're going to explore in this sermon series. And the way we're going to explore it is by looking at the life of a man from the Old Testament named Abraham. And Abraham faced this exact same question. He lived in a totally different culture, in a totally different part of the world, in a totally different time period. But his story has lessons for us that are just as fresh, just as relevant today as they were 4,000 years ago when he walked the earth. This morning we're going to look at the very beginning of Abraham's story. It comes from Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. May God bless the reading of his word. If anyone knows what it feels like to have to drive when you don't know where you're going, it's Abraham. Or Abram, as he's referred to in this passage before God changed his name. We'll probably use those names interchangeably in the first part of this series. It may be hard for us to see, but this is the question that Abraham faced. How do you drive when you don't know where you're going? And it's difficult for us to see this because when we hear the name Abraham, we think of, you know, the pillar of uh, our faith. He's like on the Mount Rushmore of Christianity and Judaism. But at this point, Abraham was just an ordinary guy who had received an extraordinary invitation to go somewhere he'd never been, all without a map. Abraham knew what it meant to have to move forward when the destination is unclear. So let's unpack this story. I want to start by looking at the very beginning and the very end of the passage. There's lots of good stuff in the middle and we'll get to that, but I'm going to start with the frame because I think this gives us the big picture of the story. And this is the big picture. Verse 1, God says to Abraham, go to the land I will show you. And verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now there's a ton of other stuff in the passage, really important stuff, but this is the heart. God told Abraham to go to the land he would show him and Abraham went, period. God called, Abraham responded. God said go, Abraham went. And right here at the beginning, this gives us the first principle for us that will help us learn from Abraham's life how we drive when we don't know where we're going. And the principle is this, when God shows, you go. When God prompts, you respond. When God says move forward, you move forward. When God shows, you go. Abraham doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know how he's going to get there. He doesn't know how long it's going to take. He doesn't know what he's going to face along the way. All he knows is that God has spoken to him. And because he trusts him, he obeys. Now the text didn't go into a lot of detail on how this happens. So in my imagination, as I'm filling in the details, I picture a really long and sort of tense conversation between Abraham and Sarah, where at some point she says, now let me get this straight. (laughs) You want us to do what? But whatever that conversation entailed, despite their questions, despite their lack of information, when God told Abraham and Sarah to go, they went. That's the heart of this passage. And really, friends, this is the heart of true faith. Faith isn't just mentally believing something. Faith is living as if that something is true. It's not just believing something in theory, it's trusting it in practice. 
And that's the kind of faith that Abraham has. He doesn't just believe God's promise, he obeys God's command. Now, this isn't always our first instinct when it comes to God's instructions, or at least maybe I shouldn't say for you guys, for me it's not always my first instinct. If I'm honest, I sometimes have this internal criteria against which I compare what God says. I wouldn't say it out loud, but I, I, it's kind of the reality. And so if whatever God tells me meets that criteria, awesome, that's great. But if it doesn't meet that criteria, man, I'm maybe not so sure. I don't know if you're, you're tracking with me on this, but let's say God tells me to, to be generous with my money. And I say, hey, that's a great idea. I would love to be generous with my money. And there's some other things that I really want to have too. So I think I'm just going to keep part of this back. Uh, I, I have this internal criteria where, where I say, if, if God tells me to do something, if he shows, I'll go as long as it makes sense to me. When God shows, I'll go as long as it's not too difficult. So maybe God uh, says, hey, I want you to talk to that neighbor that you have and tell him about the good news about me. And I say, hey, that's a great idea. I'd love to do that. I also don't want to make it really weird when I see him, you know, taking out the trash. So how about this? I'll just give a friendly wave. He'll, he'll know what it means, right? But, you know, Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham doesn't compare God's command with some internal criteria. When God shows, Abraham goes. He just obeys. And as we'll see throughout the story, it's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it's always good. Abraham discovers what we'll discover if we'll step out in faith, and that is that God's way is always best. All right, so that's the main idea of the sermon. When God shows, you go. But that leaves a ton of questions, doesn't it? I mean, how do you know where God is showing you? How do you know how to listen to him? How does he speak? Well, these are all great questions, and we can't unravel every deep mystery about how God speaks in one sermon. But I really believe that this passage does give us three specific clues about how we can listen for God's directions. How he helps us drive when we don't know where we're going. And I'm going to warn you in advance, the first two are a little hard to hear, but the third one makes it worth it. So let's take a look. First thing this passage tells us about how God shows us where to go is this. You have to leave the old to receive the new. You can't stay in the old place and go to the new place at the same time. Think about a, a road trip. You can't go on a road trip to the beach in Florida and stay at home in Dallas at the same time, can you? It's physically impossible. And in the same place, in, in the spiritual life, uh, it, it is true as well. You can't follow the direction God gives to the new place and stay in the old place at the same time. For Abraham, this meant a physical journey. Look at verse 1. God said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Before he tells Abraham about all the amazing things that are going to happen to him and his family, he says, I've got some hard news. You're going to have to leave. He says, first, you have to leave your, your country. This is his land. For him, it was in the Middle East. This is the place where you're settled, the place you grew up. And then he says, you're going to have to leave your, your people. This is your culture, the people who eat what you eat, who speak like you speak, who root for the same teams that you root for, your culture. And then he says you have to leave your father's household. This is your extended family, the people you're connected to by blood. Before he gives Abraham the promise, he says you've got to leave. And this is the hard part. In a very, in a, in a very real way, God says the same thing to every one of us. Just as Jesus 
called his disciples to leave their nets and to follow him. Jesus calls us, Jesus invites us to leave our old life and to follow him into a new life. To leave one kingdom and step into another one. Being a Christian isn't about just adding a little bit of Jesus to your old life. It's much more radical than that, friends. Being a Christian means allowing Jesus to crucify your old life so that you can live a brand new life, the beautiful life that God intended. It's so tempting to try to have it both ways, isn't it? I fight this. I bet you fight it as well. We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to live the new life that Jesus gives and hang on to our old life at the same time. It's so tempting to say, yes, I want to live a new life. I want to have that new life that that Jesus gives, but I also want to hang on to this habit. I want this new life, but I also want to hang on to this way of treating people. I want to hang on to this way of coping with anxiety. And Jesus looks at us with, with love in his heart and says, friend, you can't receive the new things I have for you if your hands are full of the old things. He says, I know it seems scary. I know it seems hard, but trust me. Trust me, put down the old so that you can receive the new. It's so much better. It's so much better. I wonder, what might Jesus be inviting you to leave behind today? What parts of the old life are you still holding on to? I wonder if there's someone here today who's holding on to the old life in the way you respond to people who've hurt you. I wonder if, if you're clinging to, to bitterness, to resentment. And Jesus is inviting you. He's saying, by my grace, with my help, lay down the old so that you can receive the new. I wonder if there's someone here today who's hanging on to the old life in the area of your sexuality. Maybe hanging on to a sexual relationship out of God's good design for marriage. Or maybe hanging on to a habit of looking at images on a screen. And God's saying, by my strength, with my help, will you lay down the old so that you can receive the new? I wonder if there's someone here today who's holding on to the old life in the way that you find meaning, in the way that you find purpose, and you're clinging to materialism, or you're clinging to consumerism, or clinging to accomplishment, or thinking that if I can just achieve this, then I'll be worth something. And Jesus is saying, by my strength, with my help, would you lay down the old so that you can receive the new. Friends, Jesus has such a wonderful and beautiful life for us, available by his grace, and it's so much better than the old life. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid with Jesus' help to lay down the old so that you can receive the new. So that's the first thing. You have to leave the old to receive the new. For the second thing, check out the end of verse 1. When God gives Abraham directions, what he doesn't say is, okay, what you're going to do is take I-60 west. When you hit Damascus, hop on the 604 going south. I wish that God said that, but what he said is actually this. He says, go to the land, I will show you. Now, I got to be honest, this would be really, really hard for me. I'm a map guy. Uh, I actually miss the big fold-out maps. You remember the fold-out maps that you would get at the visitor center of the new state when you would drive through? You know, you could pull it out and then you could never quite get it folded back down the same way again afterwards. 
But I love the old maps because you could see the whole route at one time. I don't know if anybody ever, anybody else uh, ever like me got a highlighter out and like highlighted the whole route. Well, I wish God would give those kind of directions sometimes, but here's the truth. The thing about the way God leads us is most of the time, God doesn't show us the whole map. The vast majority of the time, God doesn't tell us everything about where we're going. God doesn't give us the whole fold-out map, does he? Instead, what he gives us is turn-by-turn directions, one small step at a time. My daughter Grace loves the turn-by-turn directions on her phone. She uses them for everything. I don't even know if she knows how to get anywhere without them. In fact, I, I even saw her uh, right in the, the where am I going bathroom one time and press start. I don't even know if she knows how to get there without the turn-by-turn directions. Sorry, Grace. Uh, but she, she loves it. But this is hard for me. I love Waze and Google Maps, but really what I want is the whole map because I want to see where I'm going, man. If I was Abraham, God's command here would give me so much anxiety, so much anxiety. I'd have all these questions. God, what's the address? What highways am I going to take to get there? How long is it going to take? Where am I going to turn? Where am I going to spend the night? And most importantly, most importantly, is there a Bucky's on the way? <laughs> I used to be a Bucky's denier. I'm now a Bucky's evangelist. I love it. Don't you feel that way so often? In life, all these questions. God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with my job? God, what's going to happen with my kids? God, what's going to happen with my church? What's going to happen with my health? Where are we going? God, where are we going? Are we there yet? And God simply says, trust me. Trust me and I'll show you. And then he does one small step at a time. And he invites us to step out in faith, trusting that when we take one step, He'll show us the next. And when we take that step, he'll show us the one after that. Now, this way that God speaks has a major implication for us. I wonder if you can picture what the implication is for us. If God doesn't give you the whole map, but if he just gives it to you one step at a time, I think a major implication of this is you better be paying attention. You better be paying attention. I don't know if you've had this experience where you're using the turn-by-turn directions on the phone and then you get involved in a conversation with someone and before you know it, you're two miles past your turn. Has this ever happened to anybody else? In the old days, the GPS would say that word. You remember what word it would say when you missed the turn? Recalculating, recalculating. How many times have we heard that? If you're not constantly paying attention, it's so easy to miss the directions God gives, isn't it? In fact, I wonder sometimes, I just wonder how many times in my life is God prompting me to do something or to go somewhere or to say something and I miss it because I'm distracted or I miss it because I I can't hear him because I have the volume turned down so low. Friends, God wants to speak to you. He wants to show you where to go, but in order to hear him, you have to turn down the distractions and turn up the directions. You have to turn down the things that make it hard for you to hear God, and you have to turn up the things that help you hear God. You may be sitting there saying, well, that that sounds great, John, but how do you do that? That seems like that's something that's just for, you know, missionaries or pastors or or those kind of people. And, And boy, nothing could be farther from the truth. God wants to speak to you, and you can learn how to hear him. 
I love what Jesus says in John 10. He's talking about uh, himself as the good shepherd. And he says, he says, the sheep follow him, the shepherd, because they know his voice. Isn't that beautiful and wonderful? Wouldn't you love to be able to follow God's directions because you know Jesus' voice so well? Well, you can. You absolutely can. And the way we learn to hear God is by regularly, consistently listening for his voice through scripture and prayer. God speaks to us in many different ways. He uses worship like we're doing right now. He uses service like Arthur talked about. He uses spiritual friendships and many, many more things. But over the centuries, followers of Jesus have found time and time again that the primary ways, the two largest methods, biggest methods that God uses to speak to us are scripture and prayer. He speaks to us as we read and reflect on the Bible, alone in solitude and together in community. And he speaks to us as we pray, as we speak to God and as we hear from him, alone in solitude and in community. So if you want to learn to hear God's voice, if you want to be able to hear those turn-by-turn directions more and more clearly, the very best thing, don't miss this, the very best thing you can do is commit yourself to a regular practice of scripture and prayer. A regular practice of listening to God in scripture and listening to God in prayer, both at home, by yourself, in solitude, and together with other believers in the church and community. This is how we listen to God's directions. If you don't already have a, a specific way of doing this or a regular practice, I want to suggest one step you can take. You may have seen a table out in the lobby with these growth guides on it. If you missed it, love to invite everyone here to pick one up on the way out. They're free. We've prepared them for you. It's a little guidebook that, that gives for each day, five days a week, uh, some Bible readings and then a guide on how you can listen to God and how you can speak to him throughout the week. Each day's content is brief, just takes about uh, 10 minutes or so, although if you do it regularly, you may find yourself wanting to spend longer. It's brief, but it's powerful. And as you invest in intentionally listening for God's voice on a daily basis, what you'll find is that you begin to hear his turn-by-turn directions more clearly. All right, I told you the first two things were hard, but the third would make it worth it. So here it is. The third thing we can learn from this passage about how God leads us is the destination is better than you can imagine. This part of the sermon makes me think of one of of my all-time favorite pictures of my son, Joshua. This picture that we'll show you in just a minute not yet, but in just a minute, uh, was taken 14 years ago when our family was on a vacation in California. We were taking a week to drive up the coast, and we had planned to spend one day at a certain famous amusement park in Anaheim, California. Do you know where I'm talking about? Don't say it. We don't want to ruin the surprise, because we had decided that morning that we were going to just surprise the kids with this. We hadn't told them where we were going, and so we came up with this little plan, and we just said, hey, tomorrow we're going to spend the day, are you ready? in Anaheim. Anaheim is amazing. Everybody says great things about Anaheim and it was perfect because all morning the kids were just whining. I don't want to go to Anaheim. Anaheim sounds terrible. Anaheim sounds boring. We said, oh no, Anaheim's great. You'll love it. So we pulled into the parking lot uh, and and they were still whining. Got out of the car, still whining. We don't want to walk so far. Anaheim is boring. And then uh, I was in front with Joshua and Joanna was with Grace behind me with the camera and she took this picture at the exact moment that Joshua realized we were spending the day at Disneyland. (laughs) 
Is that not awesome? He got braces later, by the way. Just, <laughs> just such joy and surprise. Now I want you to fix that image in your mind because I wonder, this may seem silly, but I wonder, I wonder if that was the look on Abraham's face when he heard what God said next. Look at verse 2. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now to really see how amazing this is, you have to remember Abraham's situation. Abraham is not a king. He's not a warrior. He's just an ordinary guy. And we learned in the previous chapter, Genesis 11, that he's an ordinary guy whose wife Sarah is unable to have children. Genesis 11 tells us that she was barren. And now God says he's going to make Abraham into a great nation. This is unbelievable. Abraham thinks he's going to live the rest of his life in boring old Anaheim. And God says, you're going to Disneyland. Abraham and Sarah thought their story was over. They thought this was the end of the line. But God's plan was so much bigger than they could have imagined. So much bigger. And friends, there is a metaphor for us in all of this because Abraham and Sarah represent you and me without God. Without God, we are hopeless. We have no future. We have no power to create a future. Where we are is the end of the line. Spiritually speaking, without God, we are barren. But this passage, like so many others in Scripture, shows us that just when things look the most hopeless, just when it looks like there's no way out, that is when God does his best work. Because in God's kingdom, barrenness is the backdrop for new birth. Barrenness is not the end of the story. Barrenness is the beginning of the miracle. Now check this out. God is not threatened by your limitations. God is not threatened by your weakness. God is not sitting up in heaven saying, you know, I would sure really love to use Jeff. I would really love to use Priya, but I, you know what? They're just too weak. They're just not strong enough. No, absolutely not. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's kingdom works in the exact opposite way. Remember what God said to Paul in 1 Corinthians? He said, my power is made perfect in strength. No, my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. So friend, when you come to what feels like the end of your rope, when you bounce up against your own limitations, don't lose heart, take heart. Because that is the exact moment when God can work in you and through you the most powerfully. His plans are bigger than we can imagine. This is true for us. It was certainly true for Abraham. And it gets even better. Look at the rest of verse 2. He says, God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. And check this out. And you will be a blessing. And then later, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is stunning. God's saying the blessing's not just for Abraham. So much bigger. The blessing is for the whole world through Abraham. Do you see this little phrase here in verse 2? And you will be a blessing. That's how the NIV renders it. I really like the ESV, which is a little more literal. It says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Isn't that interesting? So that you will be a blessing. In other words, the whole, the whole point of this blessing was not just about Abraham, not just about Abraham's family. God's plan is so much bigger than Abraham could have possibly imagined. 
His plan was to bless the entire world through him. The world had been broken by sin. Things had been derailed. Things were broken, but God was ready to set things right. And his plan was through Abraham and through Israel that would come from Abraham and through King David and ultimately through Jesus, Abraham's descendant, the one who gave his life on the cross and rose again on the third day, demonstrating that he is the king overall. God's plan was to invite the entire world into a life of blessing beyond our imagination. The blessing wasn't just for Abraham. It was for the whole world. And the same, friends, is true for us. God is taking us on a journey. We're going on a road trip. But it's not just for us. The journey isn't just for us. Our journey is a part of God's mega plan to bless the entire world. That's why we're doing this HERE initiative that Arthur just talked about a few minutes ago. This church is not here just for us. It is here for us, but not just for us. I've probably said this before from up here, but I love to think about it. Of all the churches in the world, there are millions of churches in the world. Do you know how many God in his sovereignty put at 1501 East Beltline? Just one. Just one. And this church is not here just for, our, just for us. This church is here to bless our community. This church is here to bless the world. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. Which brings us back to where we started. Abraham's response. God has called Abraham to leave his home, to head out without a map, trusting that he has something in store for him beyond his wildest dreams. And from our perspective, the decision seems easy, doesn't it? Because we know the rest of the story. We know about Isaac's miraculous birth. We know about Moses and the Red Sea. We know about King David. We know about Jesus in the manger. We know about the cross. We know about the empty tomb. We know that this was launching something that would be so big, so huge, that we would be talking about it 4,000 years later on a Sunday morning. But Abraham didn't know any of that. All he knew was that God had told him to go. All he had was God's word. But for him, it was enough. Abraham wasn't perfect. Like us, he made mistakes all throughout his journey. But the trajectory of his life was characterized by that phrase we started with. When God shows, I go. That's the motto he lived by. And when God said go, Abraham went. And church, that's our model. That's our call to develop a practice of listening to the voice of the Spirit. And when he speaks, to be ready to respond. When God shows, you go. In May of last year, Darren Harrison was a passenger on a private plane. There was a group of guys that had been fishing in the Caribbean and they were headed back to Florida when the pilot of this small private plane turned around and said, uh, hey guys, I don't feel quite right. And then a moment later, he lost consciousness. And uh, Darren, who had never flown a plane before, was faced with a decision and he went up to the, the pilot seat and pulled the unconscious pilot out of the seat and then he sat down and started trying to figure out how to fly the plane. It took him about 20 minutes before he could even figure out how to get the radio to work, but he got on the radio and he was able to call someone and air traffic control heard him and this is what he said. 
He said, I've got a serious situation here. It's an understatement, isn't it? My pilot has gone incoherent and I have no idea how to fly the airplane. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The air traffic controller radioed back and asked Darren where he was and he said, I have no idea. I see the coast of Florida and I have no idea. Fortunately, Darren stayed calm and uh, as, as God would have it, there was an air traffic controller in the tower who was also a flight instructor. And they called this guy over and he had never flown the exact plane that Darren was flying. But get this, he pulled up a picture of the instrument panel on the internet and step by step started instructing Darren on how to fly the plane. And unbelievably, a little while later, this happened. Picture-perfect landing, safe and sound. I love this story so much for so many reasons. First of all, it's just an amazing story. But secondly, I think it's a great picture of life. So many times we find ourselves in the pilot's seat. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how to fly the plane. But praise God, like Darren had the air traffic controller on the radio, friends, you and I, all of us who call Christ Lord, have the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit knows where we are. He knows where we're going. He knows how to fly the plane. And he will show us what to do if we will learn to listen. He won't give us all the instructions at once. But if we trust him, he will lead us step by step by step, safely home. So church, when we don't know where we're going, let's listen together for the voice of God. And when he shows, let's go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so many times, so many times we find ourselves in the pilot's chair and maybe it looks like we know how to fly the plane. Maybe other people think we know where we're going. But in our heart of hearts, it just feels like we have no idea. But thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the counselor. You've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us where to go. God, I pray for myself. I pray for every person in this room, every person watching or listening online. Teach us to hear the voice of the Spirit. Teach us to trust. Teach us to step out in faith, trusting that you will give us one step at a time, one step at a time, and you will lead us safely home. In Christ's name we pray together.